Smartcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Some of those people, I swear, are just put here to not learn anything so that we can A, see how far we've come, but also to challenge us to have empathy and compassion and acceptance for where they're at. It's our growth. And that's the only bit that really matters. Why am I judging them? Can I give them the benefit of the doubt? And can I take some of my conditioning and park it whilst I actually get to know a little bit deeper about what's going on here? Welcome, beautiful beings, to season two of the Cosmic Love Antenna podcast with your host, Harrison Ma. This podcast sets the loving intention of creating the mystical space needed to pull back the layers restricting health, alignment, and love. Now let's walk you home to your cosmic spiritual heart space. Good evening, morning, afternoon, magical beings, beautiful souls. Welcome back to the show and another divine, I say that word very intentionally today, divine conscious chat with myself and a powerful soul who I'll get the pleasure to introduce in two seconds. But for all of the new souls that are either joining for the first time or reoccurring tribe coming back to tune in. First of all, I love you very much. Secondly, a reminder, if you get value out of this chat today, please share this far and wide with a friend, a family member, a lover that you think it can give value to. I'm always open to your insights, your perspective, your feedback in reviews on Apple and Spotify. That also helps the show and make sure you stick around to the end, listen to the end to soak up all of the Amanda goodness today. Speaking of Amanda, I have the lovely Amanda Kate here on the show today talking about divine, being a divine, messy human. Amanda is a kinesiologist, a mentor, a life coach, and said divine, messy human. We're going to be talking about what that means. What is the divine spark? How does our humanity have beautiful purpose? The dark nights of the soul, the spiritual paradox, and so much more. Amanda, Welcome to the Cosmic Love Antenna. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I've been looking forward to chatting with you. So can't wait to get into a deep dive. Into, I call it, Amanda, I was sharing this with you before we started recording. I call it a cosmic dance. And, yes. And it's really, well, I'll, I won't spoil it. We'll see. We'll see how we go. So <laughs> Amanda, let's start this conversation, I think, with the obvious question, and then we'll We'll go from there. What does it mean to you to be a divine, messy human? I think that for so much of my life, I shut off that connection to the divine mm. because my connection to the divine didn't look like the church connection to the divine, mm. which is what I was raised with. I fought against all of the messy bits of me and I denied them and I suppressed them and I hid them away because I was ashamed of them. Mm. And I really struggled in my human existence. And since waking up, which I don't really like that term, but it's the only one we've got right now. Um, since I started to reconnect to the divine, admit that I am part of the divine and explore what that means to me to be in divine connection with my own spirituality and my own power within that collective. And the more that I have loved and embraced and accepted all of the messiness that is me, the more my human experience has eased and become freer and more empowered and just generally more enjoyable. It doesn't mean that the shitty bit's not still happening. Yeah. It just means that I go through it in such a different way. Yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful outline thus far, my friend. It, I think <laughs> I, can, I can feel all of the souls listening sort of resonating with that because I think what you're doing in many ways 
and we'll speak about your book at the end of the show. But I think what you're doing just by being you and embodying this message is you're giving everyone else permission to do the same, right? And I feel like you know that, but it's a nice reflection to see here in this moment because this is not a Amanda thing. This is not a Harrison thing. This is a a shift and a and I the word surrender comes in. Right. So let's let's speak about that, Amanda. What when you think of that word surrender in relation to this process of being the divine messy being that you are, mm. how important is it? Oh my God. Um, yeah, brilliant question. It's it's really interesting. When you were saying surrender, there is still that part of my body that goes, No, I will not. <laughs> you know, there's still that bit of, I've got this, I can soldier through. <laughs> and I love that because it shows that humanity, it shows yeah. the messiness, it shows that ego part that goes, No, seriously, like we've got this, not the bigger, wider. Yeah. And yet. There is also that feeling at exactly the same time, and, you know, this goes into that spiritual paradox, at the same time there's this other part of me that is that divinity going, oh, that is the only way. And there's a softening and a trust. And I think that's the difference. When I was saying that I was surrendering before I truly actually surrendered <laughs> and understood what surrender was, Surrender had a bit of a feeling of giving up to me. It had a yeah. bit of a feeling failure. of I can't control it. Failure. Yes. I'm out of control. I'm failing. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. So I've just got to give up and it'll be what it'll be. But I I had this um, massive epiphany a, um, a couple of years ago and or 18 months ago roughly where I had no choice but to surrender. I was forced into surrender and it was the most painful, soul-cracking, open, just discomfort that I think I've ever been through. And I thought I'd been through some big nights of the soul. And this is, Amanda, this is the story connected to you being a mum, correct? This oh, the, yes, yeah. yeah. So let, that was when I really got into that surrender. Yeah. Pause there because I do. Yes. I, I want to hear you speak about that because that's I, I I love that story. You shared a bit with me before, and I wanted to hear that. But let's first break down because what you're what you're describing here is the difference between, like you beautifully highlighted, the the failure type of surrender and the the loving, compassionate, uh, trusting surrender, right and a, big part of the show is connecting into the consciousness of love that we are. And I want to hear your thoughts on this. Where does, do you feel that love is a part of that, right? This difference here between the forcing surrender, the mm -hmm. failure surrender versus the compassionate softening surrender that you're talking about. For me, I think the biggest um, bit, you know, it, it all does come under love, but I think the biggest key for me to unlock it was actually trust. Mm. In those moments where I am the one that is forcing and the striving and that I'm not going to fail and now I've just got to give up because there's no other choice, <laughs> that kind of, you know, not surrender, surrender, there is no trust there. There is still this I must control it. In the other surrender, there is a relinquishing. Oh, yeah, relinquishing is a beautiful word. I think there is a a true direct connection to God, source, love, divinity, whatever you want to call it, that higher power. There is this, it's like you break through all of that cloud above you and you get straight into the source and there is this deep cellular trust and knowingness that it's being looked after, that you may not be able to see it in that moment. You may not be able to see all of the shit that's going on. As one of my friends and mentors says, you can't see all of the pieces on the chessboard moving. But you, and so you're standing there going, nothing's happening, but behind the scenes they are moving the pieces on the chessboard. 
And it's like you all of a sudden in this moment, in that moment of surrendering to that higher power and to that divine path, there is a cellular knowingness and trust that things are being shifted in the way they're supposed to be shifted. Things are opening for you in a way that they are supposed to open, even if it's not the way you want them to. And that surrendering is almost like when you have a toddler or a baby just collapse into your arms going, you've got me. You've, you've got to have got me because you're the big person here. It's kind of that. It's exactly. I think it's, I think it's exactly that my friend. Mm. I think that is a beautiful imagery because it, what that factors in now is the inner child dynamic, Mm. right? And what that image of like the external child in that, in what you just described is exactly what's happening inside of us because this brings up, a question and a share I want to get your thoughts on. And I, this is just from my journey. And, and this might be similar for you because I know you had that religious upbringing, especially it's nice to, for people that haven't noticed yet, Amanda has a beautiful Australian accent. So she's on <laughs> my side of the world. So we have very similar cultural upbringings too. So I've, I've come to understand my friend that a big reason why that divine surrender that you were just speaking about took me so long to accept was because I was traumatized around religious dogma and separation of that divinity. So let me expand on this a little bit more. So I, and again, I never want to throw hate on all religious systems. I think there are beautiful mystical foundations of all of them, but there's a lot of dogma, fear consciousness. And part of that fear consciousness teaching was that God is a man on a cloud outside of me keeping score. Mm-hmm. And that was a that was deep fear. So I so each point of surrender that I had the opportunity to lean into came with that same fear because I was I felt I was being judged. But and you can't access him directly. You have to go through the intermediaries between you and him. It's not a direct access. So just to add to that, you know, it's Please. not just that he's up in a cloud wearing a dress by the way, which is kind of, you know, just beautiful symbology because he's got to be this big manly, you know, fire and brimstone. But we'll put him in a dress. Um <laughs> which brings up a whole other story. Let's maybe not go there. We'll talk about the patriarchy Um, next. (laughs) (laughs) But putting all of those intermediaries in, you can't go straight to God. You have to go via your priest and via. Jesus. uh, And you're like, and yeah, so that that in the symbology is also really important, I think. Yeah. So, Mm. and I just share that because I, I know that that's why that surrender for me to my own, because you even in your description, mm. it's easy to get lost and think there is still separation between the small self that is me, that is the ego, that is surrendering to the big self that is the divine. But both of those pieces are still me. They're still... Yes, yes. It's all the one. Uh, yeah, it's all the one. But obviously from our human perspective, we often still... And again, I think this is part of trying to find metaphors to yeah, to describe, describe the, the human yes. experience, <laughs> because there there aren't any words for the way that that surrender feels in the body. But it is. It's like you are completely leaning on that greater power, but that greater power is you, and it's not you at the same time. Like it's everything, and and the same way that. There's that part of, you know, like I said at the very beginning when you asked me about surrender, I'm like, there's still that part of me that goes, I got this. Of course there is because my ego is here to keep me safe. Of course there's that part of me. It doesn't mean that I'm rejecting that part. I will listen to it. That's why I mentioned it first because it needs to know I'm not fighting against it, that I'm learning to love it and that it can be a very useful companion Mm. when we all work together. Yeah, that's no, so I'm key. I'm not about this death to the ego. I am about we need to bring it in and know that it's loved because I think the more we fight it and go, you know, death to the ego, the more we're creating that separation within us. Whereas that ego is such an important part of our 3D reality. Yeah. 
So underline everything you just said, my friend. So important because that's again another another limiting belief within this spiritual awakening community that I and you are a part of is that we need to push away that small self to only be in the divinity. But this comes back to what what I think your message is in a part of your book and that everything we're talking about here today is that there is there is not just value in the humanness, but and this is maybe where we can go next here. The humanness is where we start to express the divinity through, right? If I, let me give a, an example, and then I'll get your thoughts on this. This is the, I think the monk on the mountain uh, sort of conundrum is I could, you know, I might, you, we could go up into the mountains and we could connect into that divine presence and be that monk in that eternal oneness and then our life comes to an end we could very much do that but what is the there is no purpose in that there is the internal purpose but there's not the we're all here as a collective on an evolution so what are your thoughts on this my friend what is the what comes up I think for me that that's exactly what I'm here doing is, and I think it's kind of going to be something along the lines of that for my next book really is about how do we live that spiritual life? You know, if I got up in the morning and did all of the spiritual practices that I know and I'd love to do every day, I wouldn't have time to eat, sleep, you know, fart, go to the toilet. Like there'd be no time for any humanness because I'd be literally that monk on a mountaintop. It would just be that I'd be sitting in a city doing it. We need that human interaction and humans are built to have that interaction, to have people that they love and that they love less, that they need to learn lessons from and, and learn how to accept, even if they don't understand them or whatever. There are always people that we need to interact with because that's what adds the richness. Yeah. I described it um, to one person I spoke to like this tapestry. And if you're the monk on the mountaintop, you've just got a beige rug on the wall. Like there's no depth, there's no colour, there's like, uh, it's a bit boring. The challenges and trials that we go through add the colour and the texture and the depth and the highlights and the dark and everything. And we're not just here. You know, clients come into me and they go, I want to be happy. And I go, it's very one-dimensional. I, I don't use that word, of course. I can say that here. But, you know, I sort of go, if you're happy all the time, you need medication because you're manic. What we want to be able to do is express and feel all of the emotions across all of the spectrum, and we need to be able to accept all of them as part of our human experience and learn how to work with our unresourceful behaviours, to learn why they are there, how they kept us safe, to learn to love them, and then to learn to bring them back into the fold as nourished and nurtured and loved parts of ourselves, so that we can express ourselves in healthier, more resourceful ways. And that's the life lesson. That is the colour and the texture. You know, I still screw it up regularly. And I recognize it quicker and quicker. And my dark nights, the soul come less often when they do, they still, you know, give me a great big smackdown and I'm still in that darkness. But because of the work I do and the people that I have around me, I'm getting out of those dark nights much faster. It might be 24, 48, 72 hours instead of three, six, nine, 12 months. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and Amanda, this brings up a, a insight here I want to share. Mm. It's, I think, and this is, this is a limiting belief that I've had that I've come to see more than when we are in those dark nights of the ego or the soul, however you want to name it. And, we can feel like we we can't do the things until we get out of it. And the deeper that I go into this connection into my loving divinity, I realize that that loving divinity, I call it the container of love, is the container of love that holds all of it. So what this means is that from a very practical human lens, 
I have the potential inside of me to take a step forward, being the whole thing at once. So let me say that another way. I can, let's say that I am having a, a, a dark night of the ego and there's this thing, this trauma that's coming up, that's moving through me, that that I'm feeling it heavy in my body. And at the same, same time, I have a client that's coming in five minutes and I don't have time to go sit on my mat and go delving into the shadows. So what are my options here? Is, is it to repress? Is it to ignore? Or can I be that container of love that holds both the shadow and my light in the same instance to show up in this case for the person I need to show up for? Do you resonate with that, my friend? Absolutely. I think um, I always figure whenever people come and is that divine timing. So if I do happen to be, luckily actually my last few dark nights have happened to be when I'm relatively quiet, which I think the universe also manoeuvres. So again, I think if clients are coming when we're in those times of struggle, it's for a reason for them and for us. There is something that will go on in that session that highlights a oh for us as well or it might just be that there's a similarity a connection there I also find when I first started working I'd be working on my stuff and then and clients would sort of drop away and then as I moved through they'd all come back again and then it got to a point where I could do it simultaneously And so I was working on my stuff and clients were coming and I was holding the space for both. So again, I think it's that expanded container as we build out those muscles and we increase that capacity, we're able to do the two simultaneously. And depending on what it is that I'm going through, funnily enough now depends on whether it is because it is shorter periods, sometimes it will be that my diary all of a sudden will clear and everyone will swap their appointments to later weeks or online or whatever it is. And you go, huh. And then you fall down this hole and you're like, okay, I see it now. I needed a bit of space for me to do it. So, but again, there's that trust that everything is happening for a reason and in divine timing. It is happening exactly the way that it all needs to happen. And that trust is super, super important. Mm. For people listening, I just want to expand this. This is not, again, it's not just an Amanda having clients, Harrison having clients. This is in all relationships, but this yeah. is this is a doing in relation. Life thing. <laughs> yeah, doing life thing, in relationship thing. Yeah. And and I share that because I do, I know a lot of the listeners are healers and light workers, but you know, some of you might be working a nine to five in a, you know, at a bank or wherever it is. And this is, this is there, it's happening. We just have to be open to see it. Let's, uh, a term, my friend, that applies to this dynamic of the flow of ego and divinity in relationships is I refer to it as being a two-way channel and what I mean by this is I um, I do a lot of channeling work and I connect into different parts of me to share with other people. And this is what I want to get your views on. As, as we start to awaken, I think it's easy for us to get a God complex. <laughs> and I say that word very intentionally because this is where the ego, the spiritual ego can come in and we can feel like, Oh, I've got all the answers. I've, I've, unlocked all the gifts and in this relationship whether it's someone i'm healing whether it's a family member whether it's a friend it's only going one way it's only going i'm giving all the things and there's nothing coming back but like you said previously i think if we open our heart there's not just shadows coming back that are triggering us but there's also their light their light and their lessons that we can open ourselves to. Have you noticed this? The way I think I went through a massive shift about this, oh, gosh, it was a number of years ago now. Gosh, I think it was 2018. I had a conversation with somebody and it was one of those, whoa, that makes a lot of sense. When we rush in to rescue people, we are disempowering them. When do we learn our biggest lessons and gain most of our resources? It's not when things are going well. It's when we are 
face down in the muck and we are going, how the fuck am I getting out of this? And it's we feel like there's no one standing around to pick us up and wipe us off and give us the tools and give us the answers. We are wallowing in that muck and we can't get out. And all of a sudden we get that spark of brilliance or we have somebody's name come across our consciousness who we book in with and have a session with, whatever it is, there's something that happens. And all of a sudden we find these tools that we didn't know that we had. When we rush in and yank people out of that puddle that they've tripped up in and we're brushing them off and cleaning them off, I've got the tools that I can help with that. One, we're being superior. Mm. I've got all the answers. That's fine, which makes us feel great. Ego, yeah. Yeah. And also we are disempowering them. When we stand back and we, even if we're standing on the edge of the puddle, look, honey, I see you're down there and I see you're struggling and I see your pain and I do have some tools that could help you and I trust you. I trust that you have what you need to find your way out of this, but I'm here. And that is the place that is so powerful for both parties to stand in. I, over the last number of years, have unfollowed more healers and coaches (laughs) than I've followed because of that, because it's like that. I have all the answers and and the shame marketing drives me up the wall. The only reason some of these coaches are telling you that you can make 5, 10, 15 figures a month or whatever the hell they're saying these days is that they are preying on your shame and your vulnerability and your feeling of failure and not good enough, that they are encouraging you into their course to supposedly show you the way, but the way they're making their money is by preying on that shame and preying on your vulnerability. They're not really showing you anything that other people aren't showing you for free. It's just that they've put pretty, you know, wrapping around it. And I've fallen prey to more than one of them myself, which is why I see it so damn clearly now. But healers are the same. You know, all of this, I can reprogram your nervous system. This is your nervous system hack. What a load of BS. Your nervous system is trying to keep you safe. And if we don't sort out your issue of safety, then we are never going to be able to just hack your nervous system. Because if you don't feel safe, you're not going to feel safe. And your nervous system will do nothing. And so that's where I see that kind of God complex versus that holding space is, yeah, it's a harder space to stand in because we do have a lot of the answers because we've done a lot of the courses and we've gone through our own dark nights. And also the more that we trust in the divinity and we trust that that divinity is flowing through all of us, the more we can just hold space to guide them if they need it. Yeah. It's beautiful, my mm. friend. I I want to thank you for bringing in that marketing lens because, because it's true what you're saying and I see it. I mean, I think everyone listening knows exactly what you're talking about. And I don't, much like you, I don't have any resentment and and I think we only know it's that it's, I, I'm really, <laughs> I'm really connected to, I'm going back to a lot of religious scripture at the moment because with this view of consciousness, right? And the scripture that comes up is forgive them father for they know not what they do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's exactly what you're saying. All these, mm. we, I'll bring in another lens here, right? We, we only from the Vedic perspective, there is no outside objective reality. There is just our internal consciousness that we project out and see. So going back to your example of all the marketers and, you know, selling things from this lens of fear, this lens of I'm not enoughness. It's a reflection to a degree of their not enoughness to a part of them that is wanting that attention. So it's the answer for both them. And I think the new, if you want to call them the new light workers, the new awakening souls that I would count us as a part of my friend is, is love, right? Is let's empower with the love frequency that people are. And I'll get your thoughts on this. 
even the most unhealed, wounded, traumatized being that is just in it still, right? It's, it's just unconscious, like I like I was, like you were. I think even that being has the potential to see something. Let's say, let's say Amanda's marketing her book or is doing a Facebook post, but it is one of self-empowerment. It is one of I call it the love mirror to help them see themselves. I think there is still a part of them that feels that even though there's just so much illusion and obscurity still there, there's still a part of them that is pulled towards it. Have you noticed this? Do you, do you agree? I I use a bit of a funny analogy here and I'll, I'll, I'll put it out to you guys and see how it lands. But this is the way I describe it to people is... I remember when my son was 18 months old and he's now 17 and six foot three, nearly six foot four. So he's um, slightly not that anymore. (laughs) But I remember him as this little 18 month old, you know, toddling around wanting to help mum with all the jobs. And he had this little pair of grey overalls and a blue and green striped shirt underneath, looked super cute. And I'd go and do jobs with a big adult toolkit and he'd run into the playroom and grab his little wooden toolkit or his little plastic toolkit. He had one of both, sometimes a bit of both. And he'd come back and help me with the adult jobs. Now, clearly when you're hammering in nails, a plastic hammer is not going to do much. And those kitty screwdrivers that are plastic and have, you know, really thick, um, I don't know what you call them, heads on them, aren't going to screw real screws. But he thought he was doing an amazing job. So those unresourceful people out there, I I still actually see them dressed in that outfit, <laughs> running and grabbing that toolkit to play in a big adult game. Now, we have a hardware store here. Other hardware stores are available called Bunnings. I only use them because they're everywhere. But some people see them. I see it and I go, I know that I can build myself this incredible castle. I can build myself whatever the hell I want to from what's in there. And if they don't have it, I also know they can order it in. So I would be able to get all of my building needs to build myself this incredible castle. I don't know how to use all those tools yet. I don't even know what half of the tools are, but I want to learn and I want to know more than I know now because I don't know all of the things. Now, there are people like me out there who understand that. Other people will be driving down the road and won't even see those massive warehouses on the side of the road because they're just not looking for it. Others will see it and go, yeah, that's not for me. Others will pull into the car park and grab a sausage. <laughs> Again, a bit of an Aussie joke. You'll need to Google it, guys. Sorry. You'll see it. Google, Google Bunnings, bar- Bunnings, Bunnings Barbecue and you'll see it. Yeah. 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 Others will go in and go to the garden section or the paint section or whatever. And wherever people are at, it's okay. That's the way I look at our our tools and our resources in life as well. And so some people aren't supposed to see it. Some people are supposed to keep driving past. And it's not for me to judge that. They're just on a different path and on a different journey. Not everyone wants to build a massive palace or castle or whatever with all of those tools and wants to learn how to use them all. Some people are quite happy just knowing that they have this little toolkit and that's fine. If I'd handed my 18-month-old a circular saw in that moment, he would have lost a limb or seriously hurt himself. He wasn't ready for it. And so, again, there's an evolutionary process Some of those people, I swear, are just put here to not learn anything so that we can, A, see how far we've come, but also to challenge us to have empathy and compassion and acceptance for where they're at. It's our growth. Yeah. And that's the only bit that really matters. So So that's the analogy that I use. (laughs) It's beautiful. It's a beautiful analogy, my friend. And I I want to affirm your suspicion of, of some people just being here with something in a second, but I, I think the thing that rises up in me first is we need to take off again. We need to take off our superhero mask, Mm. right? We need to take off the fixer and the, and the, the, I need to go save the world. You don't need to do anything, right? If, if God is unconditional love, 
God is yes to all. If you want to go help people, beautiful. If you want to sit home and do nothing, beautiful, right? It's you, you're not judged. You are whole and complete in this moment and nothing needs to change. So first it's that, but then have you ever delved into my friend, the work of Dolores Cannon by any chance? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So in many of her books, for people that don't know who she is, I'll, I've done a couple of episodes on her work. I'll put them in the show notes, but just quickly summarizing she was a past life regressionist and she did a lot of work uh, helping people understand their past lives, many of them alien in nature. Mm-hmm. And I'll just, I'll leave that there. But she, she understood a type of person that had a life that she classified as an MPC. And what that stands for is a, a non, non-playable character or a non, non-person character. And it, what it alludes to is what you're saying is that there are souls that have incarnations maybe in this life right now that we're all in that are just there to be unconscious the whole time that are just there to to be asleep and i say this with no judgment whatsoever just to live their lives doing their thing and then pass on and come back again or not and it's not up to us to to decide if that's wrong or right. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the more, as I say, empathy, compassion and acceptance we can have for them, the more our life becomes enriched because we're not standing in judgment. It's so easy to go straight to judgment. And the more we, and let's face it, actually, we all go straight to judgment because that is a human trait. What it is is picking up, oh, hang on, I've gone into judgment, but that may not be their life path. And I think that's the other bit that we need to understand about our humanity. All of these traits that we say, you know, I should be a non-judgment. Well, I remember doing a public speaking course, again, biggest waste of money ever, but that's a whole other story. Really? Um, Oh, it was. Anyway. It's a whole other story. It was, again, one of those really well-packaged things that you did not get any of what you paid for and signed up for. Um, but they, the one thing I did pick up from it was they said, everyone is going to judge you within a, three seconds of being on stage. And some of the audience, it will take you that whole time to basically win them back over. But as a woman, the first thing they do is look at your shoes. And it's interesting because as a woman, that is one of the first things you notice in people, especially if they're fabulous. You notice their shoes, or I do. As um, And I went, huh, isn't that interesting? But when I take that into that judgment space, we do give people the once over and put some judgments on it. And that's a really human thing to do. What is the power tools thing to do (laughs) is to start going, hang on, I'm in judgment. Why am I judging them? Can I give them the benefit of the doubt? And can I take some of my conditioning and park it whilst I actually get to know a little bit deeper about what's going on here? Well, and Amanda, I think to take this even deeper, when we are judging and we have one finger pointing outwards, there's also three fingers pointing back. Of course. Right? So it's, I, whenever I judge now, it's always, yes, park it with love, but then ask myself, am I judging that person because they are innately flawed for whatever the reason I'm deciding in this moment? Mm -hmm. Or is what is happening? Is there a shadow piece inside of me that is trying to get my attention? And because I've been unconscious for so long, I've projected it outside and yep. now it's, that's how it's getting my attention. So some of the money work that I've done with people, this is just a perfect example of it, is you see someone hop out of a Mercedes and you go, you asshole. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now that again is unconscious and you might use a different word, but a lot of people will see somebody come out of a spiffy car and go, you're an asshole or midlife crisis or whatever it is that you think, whatever that conditioning is. Now, that is what we are programmed to do. That is where we can notice the programming. Okay, so hang on a minute. And I now pick it up. I'm going, I actually don't 
like their car or want their car, to be honest. And you know what? Kudos to them for having earned enough money to be able to buy it and have fun with it. And that's the part that we want to start looking at is why am I judging them? Is it for having the smart car? Is it for having the money to buy the smart car? Is it because we've just been told that Mercedes-Benz drivers are assholes because not everyone can afford one and therefore we put them? So there's all of that conditioning. And as we can see through more of it, and I think that's where it goes to with the shoes for women because we've always, you know, especially once Sex and the City hit and it was all about the Jimmy Choos and the Gucci and the labelled shoes, there is that bit of going, oh, my God, they must have cost a bomb. Yeah. And you know that's yeah. where the judgment comes in. So as you can start to notice it, you're going, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and the, I love this conversation, my friend, I'm really enjoying this. The, that envy you can actually flip. So you, you spoke about it briefly, but I want to just expand it further. So everyone heard it right. When we are, when we are being envious, what we don't often see is yes, it's the judgment, but we're also saying to ourselves in that moment, when we are envious that I don't deserve that. Right. When I say, if, if everyone is a reflection of the oneness, which is what we've been talking about today, when I say to that person with the Mercedes, fuck them, they don't deserve that. What I'm actually saying is that, fuck me, I don't deserve that. So what I can do in the moment, I just want people to hear this is catch the envy, love it, embrace it. Mm. But then, as you said, celebrate that person because now what you're doing is not just giving them love, you're saying, I deserve that same, I have that same potential inside of me. Right. And I also go to, I don't want the, I don't want the Mercedes, but what would I have if I had that yes. money? Yeah. If, if when yeah. that money comes to me, what would I do with it? What will I do with it? How will I spend that? And looking at, you know, for me, it's buying a car with a decent tow system and a caravan. Like that's what my partner and I want. And so for me, when I see that, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to have one of those soon. Yeah. You take the potential That's my dream. Yeah. And change it into what your dream is and give them love and go if, (laughs) and this is actually how I got, you know, how I manifested my relationship. If you've got your, you know, Mercedes, guess what? Mine's coming to me. It's just not the right time yet. With my partner, I have this couple who are just phenomenal. They've been together 25, 30 years. They are just that couple that you go, oh, my God, I want that. Or I did. I went, oh, my God, I want that. That's what I want in my partnership. I want the support and the love and the reciprocity and all of that stuff. And you feel it with it when you're with them and they still laugh crazily together and do all the things. And so for me, I went, you know what, if they can find each other, my other half is out there too. If they have each other, they are my proof that my other half is looking for me as much as I'm looking for them. And so whether it be a Mercedes or a partner or whatever we want to use, if we just have that one example, it proves that it's out there for us too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, coming sort of full circle here, this is really what it means to be a divine, messy human, right? We, this is both, this is living both. It's in that stepping into and embracing that divinity of that we're all in that same oneness but then understanding that we deserve to have the unique expression of it, right? We deserve, we have the same potential, but we, and not an awe, and we deserve to have the unique expression of that potential in many ways, right? Amanda, I want to, I want to go back to something we spoke about at the start, because I want to make sure we get about, we get this in before you have to finish here today. And I want to give a little bit of a context for this. This is one of your, dark nights of the soul that you shared with me in our pre-chat. And I want to hear you speak about this. And I think just for people listening, a dark night of the soul is a moment where we can really surrender and, and move through what the ego thinks is a death and come back, back into our divinity in many ways. And I just want to share a quote that you shared with me, my friend, to describe this experience. You you said to me, you got to the point within your dark night of the ego, dark night of the soul, that you opened up your heart and there was a request of take me home 
or make me Jesus. <laughs> Which humor aside, <laughs> humor aside, yeah, <laughs> I think is profound in many ways. So I'd love to I'd love to hear you speak about this, Amanda. And I do want to just put the disclaimer. I know there are parts of this this chat that mm. we probably can't go deep into because we live in a very yes. highly censored yes. world. But um yes. I'd love to hear you speak about this experience. And also, you know, a bit of a trigger warning because there was that desperation of not being here anymore. And so I do want to let people know with love that that's kind of where I was. Now, I, I wasn't there in, you know, in quite the desperation that would make me take action, but just to give a pre-warning. So I had um, something sprung on me by both of my children where I thought I had a bit more time but it was very sprung on me and it was on a Friday night and I just literally melted down. I I was going, I can't protect my children anymore. I don't know if they're still going to be with me within a week. I don't know what's going to happen. We don't have enough information. All I was asking for was for them to wait on certain decisions and also knowing that they had free will choice and they were exercising that free will choice and that my job as mother was, or as being mum, as doing the mothering, my job as doing the mothering as the verb version of mother was ending and I had to learn how to be mum. And instead of having, you know, a few years to practice this, as you know, my kids were gradually going through high school and then going to university and leaving home or whatever they were doing. I was doing it in a week (laughs) of needing to relinquish my control over them, needing to relinquish the doing of the mothering and needing to evolve into being mum and being the noun and just being there to hold space for them. And it just, it floored me, literally floored me. And it makes me emotional even just thinking of it because it was so viscerally painful. I felt like I was literally cracking open. And I remember my partner leading me upstairs and I couldn't even go in the bath. Usually I'll go in the bath. I just laid on the bed and tried to meditate, tried to get back in my body, tried to just access anything that was bigger than me for some hope. And I just felt like it was dark. Mm. And I honestly thought that within the week I could be holding one or two dead children in my arms. And I know that's the panic and that's the visceral fear, but that's where I was. And I'm going, how do I live? That's real to you, right? Yeah. And how do I live through this? How do I keep living if that happens? And I sat there and in the end I opened up my curtains so I could look out at the night sky in in my bedroom, which is upstairs, and I was literally just rocking and saying, God, you've got to take me home. Take me home. I can't do this anymore. The pain was so real. It was like I was grieving my children even though they were still here. And sitting in that space... I I knew God wasn't going to take me home, by the way, which just made me angry at the time. <laughs> you're already awake like, at this point. You already, you already know. <sighs> I know that there is no chance of me just, you know, floating off to sleep and being with God again, but that's all I wanted to do is I just wanted to be in that peace and that I wanted to be home. And I felt anything but home in that moment. And I did. I ended up screaming at him. I said, you've got to fucking take me home or you fucking make me Jesus and let me create stuff out of nothing because right now they're my options. It's one or the other, buddy. And if I'm still here in the morning, I better be manifesting shit out of thin air because I'm not going to be happy with you. It was that real toddler moment, that real surrender. And I don't, I didn't sleep all night. I was literally just praying and I don't even know what for. I don't know if I was praying for my death or for their life or for all of us. And it was just this massive cracking open and surrendering. And 
my partner was obviously terrified because he's never seen me in a space like that and is obviously praying that he never sees me there again because he just had no clue what to do. In the end, in the middle of that afternoon, it was around August time, so it was really cold. He's going, we are going swimming in the sea. You need to get back in your body. You've told other people to do this. Now it's my turn to Mm. take you. And we did. We went in the ocean and that actually started my cold water swimming, Mm. um, a little addiction. But it was that shock that got me back into into my body. It was being in nine-degree water and so stingingly cold and I clunked back into my body and it had been like every single cell of me had just cracked apart and been put back together. And I, I just haven't been the same person since. And yet some of the stuff I've been through with my kids since has been as deep and as dark. And yet I've just said to them, I trust you. Yeah. I trust you to make the right decision and I'm able to hold that space in a way that I never thought prior to that would yeah. be possible. So this is, so first of all, thank you, my friend, for mm. not just sharing <laughs> that story but allowing yourself to be emotional again in that story because it's mm. one thing to reiterate, to retell a story. It's another thing to really mm. allow your heart to be present. So thank you for, for doing that. This is... <clears throat> This is the ego death, but this is, I think, the real ego death, not the one where we are judging and blaming and shaming parts of ourselves, but where we are actually in it. And I think for you, even with your all your awareness and knowledge around all of this, mm. none of that measured up to the severe pain of the cracking and the no. dying, right? As no. you said, the shifting into the mother instead of the mothering. And I, I just, I want to highlight this for people listening. There is no, there is no expectation on what this death is going to look like for you. The only, I think, intention that we need, we should set as you, I think, came to at the end of it, right? And I want to hear your reflections on this is inviting in our highest potential, inviting in our highest support and not being fixed on what that needs to look like, right? Because it it sounds like for you, my friend, and tell me if this resonates, when your partner came in, and I think it's very interesting that the element of water was the thing that Mm. was able to wash and cleanse and help you back into the your deepest truth Mm. that was the support that was the guidance that came in eventually does that and what's the element of the mother the element of the mother is the emotions the yeah 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 so symbolically it was exactly right and also it showed that he'd been listening to me because i had told other people that they needed to get in the water oftentimes i would walk the beach and i would just get my feet in the water but i hadn't done the full cold plunge at that point and he's like it's time and i think in that moment there is that it was a really strange one it was like there were lots of pieces of me all watching it unfold as well. There was that real disembodiment because there was this part of me having known this idea of, you know, doing the mothering versus being mum and understanding that I was already in that transition because my kids are in their teenage years, so it's a natural transition. So I was already navigating that change. I knew my work on this planet was not over by any stretch, so I knew you know, there was certainly no way that that infinite wisdom was going to just let me float off and come home. There was also this recognition that I'm already home. Yeah. I am home. This body is my home until it's not. That everything is to a certain extent predestined. Yes, we have free will choice, but there's a predestiny here and whatever that destiny is was going to teach me what I needed to know for then the next iteration of my life. 
And it was like seeing all of these different parts all at once. And then they kind of just got put back together. But all of this happened literally from about 4.35 o'clock on the Friday afternoon till it was just after lunchtime on the Saturday that he took me to the water. So it was less than 24 hours. I have, I remember (laughs) talking to, because I I did book a session with my mentor um, for as soon as I could. And she said to me, this is the closest to a near-death experience I think you're going to get. She said, but I think this is your equivalent of a near-death experience because you were there. And it was it was just such a bizarre place to be sitting because I as I said to her in that session, you know, with all of the shit I've gone through, with all of the stuff I've navigated, with all of the pain and the trauma and the fear, I can't believe that was the thing that floored me. That. Like it, it, in hindsight, it's such a small thing because I have all the skills and tools to help them through what they went through. Like I can do that. That's what I'm trained for. And yet in that moment, I couldn't see that. I think I just, I love, I want to go back to your imagery of all the pieces, but Mm -hmm. the, I think this is why we need to remove all the stories that we have around our reality. Right. I am, I am the teacher that can do these things, or I am the mom that can do these things, or I am the coach. And it just, it obscures us from what reality actually is, even within our own internal world. Right. But your, your description of all these pieces of me, I think is more, is more correct than you even realize, my friend. So I, I do a lot of work in this world myself and, and whether it's through the psychoanalytical lens of your internal family system or the ancestral healing world of family constellations, or you look at this is, and this is the work that I do, your group consciousness yes. inside of us, we're not just one thing, right? We are this constellation, this system, this group of, again, parts. And, and, and parts from the shaman lens fragments right this is all the same thing that helps us to see that when we are triggered and wounded and and moving through pain we have access to all these things right and and what are they coming back to what is that space that they're all coming back to right it's that loving presence that we've been speaking about this whole time so i love it amanda thank you for sharing that story i hope it hit the hearts of people listening I have one more question for you here today before we finish. But before we get to that, if the tribe listening has been pulled to your heart, your spirit, your soul, all of the essence that you're sharing with us today, I know you have the book. I think mm-hmm. it's out already, correct? Yes, or is it, coming it is. Yep. Yep. So do you want to share about that? And if people want to reach out to you, where should they go? Uh, the book you can find on Amazon, Kindle, most places. If you just Google divine messy human, you'll find a bookstore near you. Um, And the best place to contact me is amandakate.com.au. All my social links are there. I finally updated them. So I have all of them there now (laughs) instead of. This is your first book, Amanda? It is my first book. Well, it's actually my second book. I was in a collaborative book called the Anxiety Relief Handbook um, before that, but yeah, it's my first solo work, so it's I kind of consider it my first book. <laughs> can I can I ask just curiosity because mm. I'm at the time of this recording, I'm I'm just about to release my own, and I'm just curious what what is what has the birthing process been like for you? It was. It's funny that you ask it like that, actually, because when I, as soon as you did that, both of my labors with my children were very fast. My son, I had in four hours. My daughter, I had in two and a half hours. Now my book from typing my first words to holding it in my hands was 120 days. I literally, when I started writing, my coach that I was working with at the time He gave me the assignment in the middle of the October and he said, by Christmas you will be holding, or by the end of the year, he said, you'll be holding your manuscript. And I went, bullshit, I won't be. He said, something to aim for. 
I had emailed it to my editor by the 30th of November. So it was five weeks for me to get the manuscript out of me. And yeah, so it was fast and it was quick and it was unexpected and almost divine. Oh, it was. Once I'd created that channel and also I'd needed to go through the certain healing parts that I'd gone through. So I understood as I was writing it why it hadn't come out earlier because it had been in my consciousness for about five years. And then, yeah, through December we actually really didn't touch it a lot and then January was editing, typesetting. Yeah. All the doing things. all the things, but yeah. it was, it was fast and amazing. And I launched it on the 22nd of the second 22. So it's Beautiful. almost been a year now. Yeah. So that, um, that's been my experience too. So yeah. I, I'm happy that you shared it like that because <laughs> it encourages people listening. Cause I know, I know I, specific souls come to mind, but anyone tuning into this, again, this is another example of if this feels like your path to share your divine messy humanness, right? It's there. It's it. understand that divine timing of it. My friend, my last question here for you today is this is the cosmic love antenna. And one of the reasons I've named it that is as a child, as I alluded to at the start of our chat, I grew up in a religious environment and I became very disenchanted with the idea that my high power was on the cloud in the dress judging me so i became atheist and then i circled back when i remembered that my higher power was an essence of love so i'm wondering my friend in your world how do you define that love word for me love is that acceptance of what is it's really about, you know, I think all that we've talked about so far, it is the understanding that we are divine messy humans, that there is the messiness, that there is the divinity, and that the more we can embrace and accept, the more our human experience is easier. And so acceptance becomes that really big word, I think, in accepting what is and learning to recognize those triggers and activations and judgments so that we can go, huh, what is that trying to teach me? Mm -hmm. Rather than what does that mean about them? What does that mean about me? Because mm -hmm. then we can take more love into the world naturally. Amanda, I love you, my friend. Thank you. <laughs> I love for your, you too. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for your energy. And Thank you for the beautiful soul that you are and the work that you're doing in this world. And just, I, didn't, I haven't mentioned this, but for people, this is people just listening. Amanda has a smile that takes <laughs> up the whole, whole zoom page. So if you ever get to connect to her, you'll see it and you'll see that love coming off her. Amanda, wishing you so much love and light on your journey. Beautiful beings out there listening. Thank you for your time and your attention today. If this hits your heart, please share this far and wide. Regardless, we love you unconditionally. Until next time here on the show, we'll see you again very soon. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Cosmic Love Antenna with me, your host, Harrison. If you gained value or this episode hit your heart, please remember to share this out with a friend, a family member, or a lover. You can also leave your love over on Apple Reviews and Spotify star feedback, and this helps me spread my frequency to more souls in need. Finally, if you want to connect with me deeper, want to reach out, interested in coaching, Please follow me on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and LinkedIn at Harrison Ma, Ma spelled M-E-A-G-H-E-R. Sending you so much love. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. 
Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Pack podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast.